Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting data to over 60 countries from the middle of the third most important centre in the world for entrepreneurs, startups, angels, VCs and incubators, Silicon Beach in California, Los Angeles. I want to thank you for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. Over the past 10 years, I've worked with startups and early stage companies to help entrepreneurs develop and run successful businesses. And this radio show is also about providing news, information and tips to help you do just that. Entrepreneurs need to wear many hats and we all can't be great at everything, no matter how hard we try. So I want to help you identify gaps in your expertise. Pretty scary, but new research shows that the failure rate of all businesses is now 96%, and the failure rate of startups is 99%. Of course, there's a lot more companies starting up, but research identifies the major reason that businesses fail is lack of business knowledge of their management. Only 11% of management have done any business courses or learning since they finished college. That's despite the tumultuous changes that have taken place. Extensive research and studies of thousands of companies have identified 18 keys as a minimum that companies need to be proficient, not necessarily expert, but proficient in to be successful. And over the past five weeks, we've discussed 13 of these keys. And uh, rather than repeat them for you, if you go to my website, bobpritchard.com, click radio on the navigation bar, you can hear the discussion about the first 13 keys. Now, so today we're discussing keys 14 through 16 of the 18 essential keys to guarantee the success of your business. And uh, key number 14 is to reverse the risk of making the purchase. Key 15 is to think differently outside the box. And key 16 is to be a good communicator. And these are the minimum basic keys, these 16 that we've discussed up till tonight. And if you don't know them, you're likely to fall behind. So the first key we'll just talk about today is um, key number 14, which is to take away the consumer's risk when the consumer goes to make that decision. When anyone's considering buying something, it doesn't matter who they are or how rich they are, the potential purchaser always has doubts. It could be, um, can I really afford it? Um, What if I get it home and my spouse doesn't like the colour? What if I find it cheaper somewhere else? All reasons why we try to talk ourselves out of buying something. Now, risk reversal is a technique that reduces the risk in the potential purchaser's mind. More importantly, it can increase sales by over 50%. Now, some risk reversals are... 100% money-back guarantee, that's probably the most popular one, a free trial, testimonials, Um, Michael Jordan wears these shoes, so therefore you'd be great if you wore them, you know, match competitors' offers, so they've got nothing to lose, Um, if you don't like it, we'll replace the item at no cost with another item, Um, buy one, get one free, all sorts of things that are risk reversals. A friend of mine had the rights to Thomas the Tank Engine beds. He could not give the bloody things away. So he offered free delivery, money-back guarantee, free pickup and return, and free Thomas pillows and sheets if you bought one. So there's no risk. If you didn't like it, you sent the bloody thing back. The beds flew off the shelves to the point where he was back-ordered. Guess how many returns he got? None. You know why? Because no parent's going to take a bed off a kid that'd been sleeping in it for a month and they love it. They're not going to send it back. So that's true risk reversal. He knew once he got it into the house, it was going to stay. 
key number 15 to guarantee, to guarantee you have a successful business, it's think differently. These days, you must think differently. We've got intense competition from traditional online businesses. You've got to be creative in how you present and market your product and services. And the best way to differentiate yourself from the competition is to sell them the customer what they're buying and most of us don't we're too busy selling the bloody product we're selling you know if somebody wants a quarter inch drill what they really want is a quarter inch hole they don't want the drill they want the hole that's a different product to be sold in a totally different way Today, it's the size of the idea, not the size of the budget. So you've got to think and be creative. Think differently. The 16th key and the final one for today is to be a good communicator. No, scratch that. You need to be a great communicator. Even when we get the market message right, we still need to communicate it. And the overwhelming majority of us are lousy communicators. We can't communicate with spouses. We can't communicate with our kids. We can't communicate with our staff. We can't communicate well on a personal community or government level. Um, members of parliament can't communicate with each other. I mean, it's, it's a mess. Uh, Roy Nirenberg from Berkeley in California who wrote The Art of Negotiating, says 81% of business managers have extremely poor communication skills, 81%. Not three or four, 81%. Four out of every five have lousy communication skills. And when communicating, it's important to use information about the customer to build rapport and structure your sales message. You know, you've got to realise that communication today is about dialogue. It's not monologue anymore. And, you know, there are four additional things to realise. Um, firstly, today's generation in particular want dialogue. They just don't want to be told. Secondly, communications understanding the expectations of the customer. And thirdly, communication is developing a relationship of trust with that customer. And the fourth thing to realise is that customers don't give a damn about you. They only care about themselves. If you go out of business tomorrow, they couldn't care less. They'll just go and buy whatever it is from someone else. Yet companies are still constantly talking about themselves, about how wonderful they are. And the consumer could not care less. So what are the most important elements in effective communication? It's really simple. Speak in common terms that people can understand. Maintain eye contact. Show an interest in your customer. Don't interrupt. Determine what their needs are. They'll tell you. Stress the benefits that you're offering over your competition. Don't openly criticise your competitors. Mention peers that you've worked with. Take notes. Look interested. Be positive. If you do those things, you'll communicate well. Abraham Lincoln said, if I had eight hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend six hours sharpening the axe. Ask yourself this question. When you're going into a meeting or about to ring a client, do you plan before the meeting or the conversation? Do you know all about the customers so that you can have a, con a conversation with them? 99% of people don't. You've got to ask yourself, who am I meeting? What are their interests? What are their needs? When do they want whatever they want? What do they want to achieve? And you've got to identify the decision makers. So that's it. We've now covered the keys one through 16 that are critical if you want to guarantee a successful business. Next week, we'll address the last two keys and we will do a bit of a wrap up. Now, if you run a business, you know there's too much demand on your time. Trying to keep up with new technology and all the paperwork that's required for regulators and do your taxes and keep your books up to date, you just don't have enough time or enough help. Now, does that sound pretty familiar? <laughs> right. Small businesses face the same obstacles as large businesses. And we all wonder how we can overcome the challenges of running a business while positioning ourselves as a company that's on the move. 
Running a small business successfully happens when you have a strong structure that purposefully arranges things in a very specific way. And there are four areas of business where structure can have the biggest impact. The first of these is finances. You know, missed sales targets or larger than expected expenses can disrupt cash flow and can really screw up your business. A balanced budget helps maintain proper financial control amid the economic ups and downs so you can maximise profit. This type of financial structure can maintain the direction of your business and be revisited or updated with ease as condition or the flow of money changes. The second of these is operations, which is an essential element of a healthy business. Processes help achieve greater consistency and should be applied on all aspects of business operations. Processes are a set of activities that will accomplish specific business goals. Creating processes within your business allows you to run it more effectively and efficiently. Third aspect is staffing. Being surrounded by people who support and embrace your company's goals is absolutely critical. For your employees to become fully supportive of your business goals, they must actively be engaged regularly and they must totally understand what your goals, aspirations are. And they need to understand what the position of the company is. So regular meetings with employees will make a huge difference in achieving goals as well as saving time and building the strength of that team. And that is critical. Sales and marketing is the fourth aspect that can help overcome the challenges of running a small business. Sharing your business success with the general public can distinguish you from your competitors. You know, you can do this by um, constantly feeding information to trade publications and relevant news media. It keeps your business in front of the public. So now that you've embraced the culture of structure, it's time to incorporate tools that will help you in all of these areas and more. You need file sharing and storage. You know, exchanging large documents and folders requires more than just standard email. It don't work. Since most email providers limit the size and types of attachments, you can find, you know, you can find yourself having to break down files into smaller pieces, and that's a pain in the ass. It's impossible with images or video. And you also want your confidential information and your clients' information to be protected whenever you exchange it. Regular email poses a threat of hacking, no matter what size the file. And corporate financial data and other details can easily get into the wrong hands and harm your business. So you should have storage capability in the cloud, which enables you to archive an unlimited number of files and folders without needing to back up the server or even use the server. You'll have no worries about losing or missing information. Now, my guest today is Evan Hackle. He's the creator of the concept of in engaging leaderships. That's engaging with an I instead of an E. Evan's a successful businessman who started more than 10 companies. He's a thought leader in the fields of leadership and success. For more than two decades, he's helped hundreds of organizations build employee engagement, again with an I, increase profitability and achieve success. Um, he makes a very good case for engagement against engagement. It's good. And I'll be back with Evan immediately after this break on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. 
Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we talk to people who are taking initiatives that can help entrepreneurs to be more successful. This segment is not just about helping our guests promote their business or their books, but we really try to ask questions that will provide answers that are of benefit to all of us. You know, it's very, very hard to be successful today. In fact, the latest figures I saw showed that between 96 and 99% of all businesses fail. So we try to find out what makes our guests tick, what has made them successful, and what we can take away from their experience that will make our journey in business less challenging. Now, this program's all about saluting and assisting entrepreneurs, no matter what their endeavour. It doesn't matter whether you're developing a new app, app or whether you have um, decided to open a dry cleaning service. It's still being an entrepreneur, and it means you've got to wear a lot of hats to be successful. So we, we want to be able to emulate the success stories that uh, our guests relay to us so we can encourage others to get out and have a go. Today's entrepreneur has what I believe is a great concept that can really facilitate bringing a startup or an existing business to success. Evan Hackle is the creator of the concept of engaging with an I instead of an E, Engaging Leadership, an author of the book titled Engaging Leadership. Evan's a successful businessman who started more than 10 companies and during his tenure at CCA Global Partners, which incidentally is a great organisation, they, um, they partner with, um, with businesses and uh, bring their talents to bear and they have an enormous track record. So during his tenure at um, CCA Global, he ran a $5 billion division. One of his signature achievements was turning around a bankrupt business in four years, more than double, doubling system-wide sales to exceed $2 billion. Evan's a leader in the training field. He was CEO of Total Training in North Carolina that specialises in developing and implementing interactive training solutions for companies in pretty much all sectors. Evan's also the creator of the concept engaged leadership. He's a thought leader in the fields of leadership and success and for more than two decades he's helped hundreds of organizations build employee engagement, increase profitability and achieve success. With all that mouthful out of the way I'd like to welcome Evan to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network. Hi. Hi. Great to be here. Now, apart from the fact that you likely can't spell, how the hell did you get to um, spell engagement with an I instead of an E? Well, it's because there's a distinction between the word engagement with an I and engagement with an E. And I like to say it's engagement with an, for, with an I for involvement. Okay. So the simple way to look at this is if, let's say, you know, you're a sports fan and you got your favorite football or basketball team, you're very engaged, you're watching games, you're paying attention to trades, but, you know, no one's asking you, you know, no one's 
no one other than your friends, but no one from the team is calling you up and saying, hey, what do you think we should do? You're engaged, but you're not really involved. You're not, you know, participating in the, in the team sport. Sure. Same thing's, the same thing's true in business. A lot of businesses, you have leaders, and they have a vision, they have a direction, they share the vision, they share the direction, which, by the way, is only a small percentage of them. A lot of them don't sure. necessarily have a clear vision and, and don't share anything with people. But the good ones have a vision, and they share the vision, and that's engagement with an E. And engagement with an I is when you go to the people that you're working with and you go to your customers and go to your vendors and you get them to participate and share ideas, share suggestions, have conversations and build a vision that is collaborative in nature, decided, not democratic, you as the entrepreneur, you as the CEO of your company, you're the one that ends up making the decision on what the vision is, but you've brought people into the process, they feel involved. And when someone is engaged that way, they have a sense of ownership and commitment to the outcome far greater than when they're talked at. And that's why I have an eye for involvement. I agree. That's getting um, people to participate and feel that they have a stake in the outcome is, is critically important. And, of course, the reason that most CEOs don't engage or engage people is because they just don't have the personality for it. Uh, there's so many um, so-called leaders that um, are not leaders at all. Well, it's interesting. When, when you go to school, they don't teach leadership. You know, you go to high school, they don't teach leadership. You go to college, you go to business classes, and they talk a little about it. They don't really teach leadership. They teach management. Yes. Um, and so consequently, people don't know. And, and I, I think we're sort of taught that, you know, when you own a business, you're on your own. And, and you know, it's sort of like expected that people are, you know, quiet or, or you know, closed mouth about their plans. Um, and, and people just haven't been naturally tra- tra- trained to think in the way of being engaged. But it makes, it makes an incredible difference in, in the business. And you mentioned CCA Global Partners. Uh, I was there for 20 years, and we had an average growth rate of 29%. Uh, and the whole company, the whole company went from having, you know, maybe uh, 70, 80 million dollars in volume to about 10 billion dollars in volume in that 20 years. Yep. So it, it, you, it's hard to have that kind of growth rate unless you're being innovative and you're doing things to get people all to be working together. Um, so it's it's really a it's a, a great a great process. Most corporations do not encourage, um, I mean, they'd like their employees to contribute ideas and, and be able to improve systems and and uh, processes, but they don't really encourage it, do they? They don't, but there's certainly no. no incentive for anybody employed by a company to um, come up with the next brilliant idea that's going to save the company millions of dollars. Yeah, and most, most people are just so busy doing you know, every day you go to work and you got so much to do and you can't accomplish what you got and, you know, everyone's busy and, and, and companies have, you know, really become lean and, and consequently, they, you know, every employee's got more to do than they can, they can do. But the sad reality is when you take the time to have conversation about how to make the business better, when you take the time to discuss where the business is going, you can change your processes, you can change how you run and operate and become more efficient, more effective. Uh, but we, we tend to, you know, run around with our heads cut off, uh, particularly small business owners, and they've got so much to do on their plate, and they aren't proactively thinking about, okay, I need to be the communicator of this message. I need to involve everyone in the conversation where the company's going, because if I can get everyone on board, everyone supporting where we're going, I can tap the best ideas of everyone in the organization, we're going to accomplish a lot more than if if I just, by my wisdom, lead. Um, and uh, so... So is it, is it really a lack of time or is it that these people just do what they have to do and don't really give a rat's ass about, you know, what happens with a company as long as they get their pay packet every week? Well, I think, you know, when you're talking about an entrepreneur, a person that owns the company, yep. uh, I think they care. Well, I, I think it's... People the company, it's, absolutely. Yeah. The people, the people within the company that work for the company, if, if there is not 
involvement. And if they have not felt a sense of responsibility and ownership in the creation of that vision, absolutely tend to just work. This is my job. This is what I do. I have a great idea, but no one's going to listen to me anyhow. I'm just going to keep my head low. And, and the reality is with the Great Recession that we just had, and the fear of people uh, wanting to, um, you know, not, not wanting to lose their job. Don't want to rock the boat. Right. They don't want to take a chance. They don't want to, they don't want to share anything in, in fear of retribution. Yep. I was just at a, a C-suite uh, leadership conference that was in Boston. Yep. And, and one Good of the... Jeffrey Heisler. Yeah, exactly. He put, he put it on. Yeah. And they were, they were sharing statistics. 70% of all employees in this country wish they worked elsewhere. Think about that. Yeah. It's an incredible thing. And, and, and that's why it's leadership... Tragic, isn't it? it is tragic. And that's why leadership really matters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Um, it's interesting that the, the word engagement with an I is, is interesting because most people sit there and think, well, I'm looking for a name um, and almost every name that's ever been in any form of common language is taken and every variation of it's taken and, you know, all the spelling variations have taken. And you start sitting there, most people that I know that start businesses sit there and go, okay, I've got to make up a name. I've got to have something with Z's in it and I've got to have something with Y's in it because they're the only letters that aren't used much and maybe a few. <laughs> um, so how did you, I mean, but engagement is really switching the E for an I is really very simple. Did that just come to you quickly or did you exhaust all the Z's and Y's and Q's? Well, <laughs> I, when I started my consulting business, which was about seven, eight years ago, I knew immediately I had a problem with the name engagement because I would get all these people calling me, okay, I want to get engaged. What kind of recommendations? You know, where can I buy my ring? Yeah. You know, so I knew that, um, that the, the, the word, it would be difficult. It would be confusing in that regard. And there's so, probably 10 million of them out there if you look. Yeah. So what I did... And this is, this is, you know, a good example of all the principles I'm talking about. So, you know, here I am, I'm about to start my business. You know, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a, you know, a business of what? I'm certainly not that today, but at that time, that, that was the plan. Right. So what I did is I invited friends and some friends with some marketing experience, some friends that just simply knew me and knew my management style and knew what I, what I you know, what I did. Uh, had a big dinner at my house. I think we had about 15 people there, uh, all nice enough to volunteer, and, you know, to be there. Yeah. And, you know, all I did was all I did was make a big pot of paella, yeah. and we sat there and we talked about, you know, what this business is going to be and what it's going to do and what's going to be different, and and I talked about you know this concept of engagement as a core of who I am as a leader, as a person, as as a value statement. Um, and so I knew that engagement needed to be important. And we started to say, well, what are the elements of engagement? And then, you know, involvement. And, and that's really what distinguishes me. And at that dinner, we came up with the name uh, Engage with an I. So it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't really, you know, in, in retrospect, it was easy. Um, yeah. and, 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 it was, and it was brilliant. Um, would I have come up with it myself? Probably not. Yeah. Because I'm, I am myself not this genius marketing person, but I had very bright people in the room. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's the whole point, is in every organization, you have really bright people. And that there are so many things happening, it's impossible for you as the owner, unless you work for yourself and you're the only person in your company, to know everything that's going, that's going on. Yeah. They... Um that's a great lesson for listeners who have are starting a business or thinking about starting a business or looking for a name to have 15 people around for dinner and um, have them focused on your business and what you can do and perhaps the name or perhaps a dozen other things. And for a big um, pot of paella, I would have been there. You know, you get people to come 
and uh, it, it is a great idea. I, we're always urging people to have mentors, and uh, that's the same as having a mentor, except you have them all around for dinner. Good idea. Yeah. Very good idea. Um, so why are most managers not normally engaged with an I? Leaders. Well, I think, I think it's a combination of being rushed. I think it's a combination of fearful that um, they may be exposed for uh, being a fraud. And I know that sounds odd, but I think it's part of most people's DNA that, that yeah. they secretly are afraid that someone's going to be smarter or brighter than them. I've been waiting so, for 40 years for somebody to expose me. <laughs> yeah, well, look, at, I got to tell you this, I got the same issues myself, but, but uh, I just think it's always, you know, people don't like to be blindsided. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's really, you know, part of it. I also think, honestly, that people just haven't thought about it. They, you know, people generally do what they learn. Yep. So that, you know, that's why I wrote the book was to help people learn about, about this process. Uh, and, and, and the things that you can do to create that kind kind of kind of an environment, you know, within within the business. Yeah. Do you just um, while just picking up on something you touched on, you know, I've I've given presentations to Microsofts and Intels and lots of those companies, and before I walk out there, I um, always think. Why are these people listening to me? You know, these are the smartest people on the planet and they're listening to me. And I, I hear a lot of people say, you know, I wouldn't go out and give a presentation because I don't know enough or because, you know, I'd feel inferior than the people in the crowd. And uh, I think a lot of us feel like that. I'm, probably you do when you walk out in front of an audience. How does somebody out there listening who knows that they have to get out and promote their business at every Rotary Club and every opportunity they can, Chamber of Commerce meetings, get out there and talk about your business and talk about your business. How do they overcome that fear of not being as good as the people that they're speaking to? Well, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting point because what happens in any business, why they want to listen to you, why uh, people that don't know as much add value is because people come at things at different perspectives and they see things that other people can't. There's this concept of tunnel vision. Yep. So, you know, I, when, I, when I work with my clients, and, and people can do this, they you know, not necessarily have to hire me to do this, but I, I interview every employee in the company. Uh, you know, unless it's a massive company, but, sure. and I'll even interview the, you know, the, the person who's working in the warehouse yep. and it's, it, it's amazing what, what you'll learn from these people, but it, inevitably to your point, they're going to say, well, you know, I didn't think my idea was all that important. I didn't think anybody would care about my idea. You know, I'm not, you know, I thought of it, but yet I was afraid there was something I was missing. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to share it. Yeah. Um, and what you need to do is you need to create a culture where people feel very comfortable sharing and that they have real, you know, opportunities. And if, if you don't mind, Bob, maybe I could share a couple things that, that I have done that people sure. could probably pretty easily do that are, that are pretty, pretty powerful Absolutely. ways to, to get Absolutely. engagement. Okay. Um, one of the things that did very, very successfully is what I, I call a whiteboard meeting or a, uh, open meeting and essentially brought the team in Yes. and you come into a room and there are flip charts all over the room yep. and say to people, look at, um, management isn't going to participate and what we want you to do is if you have a topic you want to talk about, walk up to one of the flip charts, write the topic down, and if there are other people that want to talk to you, talk about it with you, they come over, and then you write down what the issue is and your recommendations for solutions. Right. And very important that they write their recommendations for solutions because issues without solutions are just, you know, it, 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 sure. it, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not productive. Yeah. And you want, you want people to, you know, present those things. And, and then, you know, after doing that for a couple hours and people moving around and changing new things, management comes into the room and each person that started their topic makes a presentation. Right. And you get such terrific ideas yeah. uh, that just... And it's inspiring to, to management. It's inspiring to the employees and staff. And you know, this is a, this is an easy, very easy thing to do. Yeah. 
Um, so, the, you know, the other the other things that we do is um, take people out to lunch yep. uh, that aren't your direct reports, or if you're a small company, you know, your direct reports, and just say, hey, we're just going to talk at lunch about what you think we do well and what you think we could use improvement on. And everyone share one of those things. And, you know, and you listen. And then once a year when you do planning, and I I hope everyone does planning once a year, I think it's really important to do planning. 99% of people don't, but they certainly should. (laughs) I'm trying to be polite and nice. Uh, (laughs) You know, you got to do planning and you got to do budgeting. It's really important. And, you know, to, to, you know, depending, everything again, depending on the size of the company, if you're a small company, you know, bring people in the room and go through a planning process and, you know, talk about, you know, hey, what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What are our opportunities? What are our threats? You know, what are the things that are the quick wins that the company could do? What are the, the bigger goals that we should set? And talk about these things and who would do what and what's our timeline like and get everyone to be involved. And when you sit there and you build the timeline and everyone's committing to the timeline, it's not you, the boss, say, hey, this is going to be done by November. It's the team saying, we can get this done by November. Sure. And, and that changes the paradigm because when you tell everyone what to do, if they don't make the deadline, you are wrong for making the deadline. When yeah. they tell you this is what we should do and this is what we get it done, they made that deadline, and they're going to treat that deadline a little differently than when they're told, they're told what to do. You need a um, very strong leader or a strong administrator to do that, don't you? Because um, we do a similar sort of thing when we go into companies. And, you know, if you've got a two-hour meeting and you're doing it on customer service, for example, come up with ideas, the first 15 minutes there's not an idea in the, in the room. And once you get the ball rolling, they start coming in, you know, slowly at first and then the last half hour, there's ideas coming from everywhere. And I would imagine it's similar in, in the um, meetings that you're talking about. Yeah, I, I look at it as a funnel. Yep. So, you know, what you do is you start generating ideas very wildly and almost randomly, and then you start to funnel those ideas down. So you start with simple, you know, exercises that, you know, you have everyone go around the room and say, what's the one best thing we did as a company? Okay, yep. well, that's great. And, you, you know, you, 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 um, you get those out of the oven. Okay, what's the one thing that we should have done better than we did? And everyone goes around and does that. Hey, what's the, what are, what's the one thing we've noticed competitors doing really well? Uh, great. What are we hearing customers want? Well, these are all questions that bring out thought. So they're not, you know, they're not the ideas on how to do something. And it, it really warms people up. Yeah. And, th- and then as you go to the next part of the funnel where you start taking these things down, then you say, okay, guys, we're now going to talk about, you know, operations for a while. We're going to first talk about order processing. You know, listen, you know, think about all the things we just heard. What are the things we think we should be doing? And, and they're really warmed up, and that's, and that's when, you know, you really start getting in, into, into meaningful conversation. And let me, let me just quickly, because I know we only have so much time, is point out a couple other things. Go for it. Um, customer advisory councils, yep. hugely, hugely important. Um, we have one. They're so insightful. They, they help us avoid mistakes like right. crazy. And, in fact, just yesterday, in, we, we do our, uh, our advisory council on, on via web where everyone can yep. see each other and can share documents because our customers are all over the country. And, yeah, it's nice to fly them in, and people love that, but no one has time. You know, it's, it's, it's too difficult to get people to come and do that. Yep. So we do it over the web. And we sit there, and we share with them and say, hey, you know, this is what, you know, we did a meeting where we said, hey, guys, what do you think we should be doing, and et cetera, and they did it. And then we, came, we went and did our own planning, and then we came back and said, we heard you, we heard our staff, uh, we heard, and we, we have a lot, of, a lot of vendors, and we do the vendors more individually than together because some of the vendors compete with each other. Yeah. But anyhow, then we come back and say, okay, here it is. This is what we heard from everyone. Here, here's our actual plan, and we put our plan in writing. Uh, it's very important to put the plan in writing. Sure. And, and then, you know, we say, you know, look at, this is in writing, but, you know, everyone, everything here is a click away from being changed. If you have seen something that you think we should be doing differently, I mean, we talked about it, let us know. And, you know, 99% of the time, they're going to say, you know what, you guys hit it, it's fine. But at the same token, sometimes they'll say something, oh, you know what, you're right, we need to put that in the plan, or we need to delete that from the plan. Um, 
but getting getting your customers insight is great, and vendors too. I mean, you just you know, I just with my vendors call them up and just say, hey, you know, love appreciate you, love working here. How could we be a better How could we be a better customer for you? Which they love because no one ever asks them that. Yep. And then say, you know, and you were around my business, you're around my people and staff. What would you recommend? How would you suggest we would be a better company? Yeah. And you know, those two simple questions unearth very interesting things in, in terms of process improvement uh, and ideas. And you know, vendors don't want to rock the boat. <laughs> they, they like you know, like any business. Sure. So you know, when you go out and ask them, they they feel appreciative. And and I can tell you for sure that because we care about our vendors, our vendors work for us harder than they would have otherwise. They're more loyal to us. If they've got two people with similar projects, both do in a hurry, they're working on our project because they care and they feel they have a vested interest in the company. And, and I, have, I have vendors that call me up all the time saying, hey, Evan, I just saw this and because they know I you know, have this dialogue with them. And, and I'm, by the way, I'm not the only person in the company. I talk to some vendors, other people talk to other vendors, depending on what area and what they do. But it's, it's, it's really empowering to get these people involved because it, it's, like you, it's like a sporting team. You have all these raving fans that are there to support you. Yep. Um, and, they, you know, and they refer you and, and recommend you. And it's, uh, you know, it's really, it's hugely changing for a company. So what is the big change that people need to make to succeed as an engaging leader? Okay, the first one is a mental change. And that mental change is to accept that other people may have ideas that are better than yours or other people may have ideas that can make your ideas even better. Right. We as a, are, as a human being, we sort of are in a defensive mode, you know, fight or flight and... Um, when we listen, and for me, this was a very big problem in my life. When I would listen to people, I would listen to them to not really hear them, although I would act like I was. I'd ask sure. open-ended questions and follow-on questions, but I was really listening to prove to them I was smarter than them and what they were saying was wrong. That's what I was really listening for. Right. When I changed to say, what is the kernel of truth? And listen for why they were right versus why they were wrong. It changed everything. Sure. And it changed how I looked for everything. And so then I started to say to myself, well, if these people are right. Other people have good information. So now I want to know what everyone thinks because I'm embracing the fact that there are other people with great ideas and insights that I don't have. And so if you change from that point of view of, I know it and I want to be the one right, and, I'm, and go to a point where you embrace that other people have great ideas and I want them, that's when you can become an engaged leader. That's if critical, you go into, critical for any leader. Yeah. If you go into engagement, and I use the word engagement with an E here, Right. With the idea that you're going to pretend, oh, I'm going to have a meeting, I'm going to ask everyone their opinion, and blah, 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 but I'm really placating them and pretending to listen, they will absolutely figure that out. <laughs> it has to be genuine. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, I'm sitting out there listening to this and I'm saying, yeah, that makes sense. So, how would a listener out there start implementing engagement with an eye okay I would say the following and and I'm building on what you said earlier okay proving to you that I was listening to you why you were right and you said <laughs> you know 99% of people don't have a vision or have a plan yep so I would say to you that the thing that they need to do is craft a vision for where they're going as a company and the way they need to do that is to go and depending on their size, you know, have meetings with their staff and say, hey, 10 years from now, where should we be? And listen and talk to their customers and talk to their vendors and build a vision statement for the company, something very short, five, six, eight words, really, really clear that people know what it is, that people can understand it and get it. And that's where you should start because you really can't build a successful business without a direction. I like to call it a flag. You know, this is our, this is our goal. This is where we're going. This is what we're trying, what we're trying to become. 
because what happens when you don't have that flag and you don't have that vision is, you know, one day you're going this direction, the next day you hear no idea, you're going another direction. And, and those are why businesses flounder because there isn't the clarity of direction. And that doesn't mean that you don't change your tactics, you know, as you go because the world changes. Yeah, competitors but change. Every, everything changes. Yep. But if you don't, if you don't have an idea of where you're going, it's hard to get there. Um, I, I play a game when I work with clients, and as you work with clients, you probably steal this one, and that's okay by me because everyone on the call can steal this idea. I thought you stole it off me in the first place. Well, you know, you don't even know the idea, but I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm just joking. But, you know, look, we all get ideas from other people, and, that, sure. and that's what makes the world beautiful. Yep. So I start, I start, and I take one person out of the room, and I blindfold them. I put in the room um, a round circle on the wall, and they have no idea where it is, and I bring them in, and I say, okay, you got 30 seconds. Now, here's a post-it note, and all you have to do is put the post-it note on that round circle, but you're still blindfolded, and no one in the room can help you. Right. So they walk in the room, and they have no idea what to do, and no one ever finds it in 30 seconds. Sure. And I said, this is what it's like to have no vision of where you're going. You're just yep. stumbling around, putting your hands out randomly, hoping to find gold. Yep. Occasionally, people without visions do find gold, but that's what you're doing. And then, then I have the person go back out, and we do the same thing again, except this time I put three targets up, and I divide the room into thirds, and I say to everyone in your third, you can tell this person anything you want. Try to get them to put the sticker in your, in your goal, in your goal, not uh, in someone else's goal. And this part, and if you do this really important, no one can touch the person. Right. And the reason I share this advice with you is because I've seen people almost be ripped in half by people pulling on them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's very important. So the person comes in and people are screaming, follow me, trust me, come on, go this way. And the person's sharing it from all different directions and they're totally confused and they don't know what to do. Yep. And that's what happens when you have people that work for you that have given multiple different goals from different divisions. Marketing wants you to do this. Operations wants you to do this. Everyone has different goals. They're not in concert. And when you have that happen, there's total utter confusion. It's not effective. And then the third time, we have the person, we show them in the room where the thing is. We have them practice going to it, you know, count your steps, feel the wall, and you know, show, show them exactly how to put the thing on the dot. They come back into the room, still blindfolded. Everyone in the room cheers them on, gives them help, and generally within about seven, eight seconds, they put the thing right in the middle of the bullseye. Right. And that's, and that's what happens when companies have clear vision and plans and everyone understands they know what they're doing, is that the, everyone can put that everyone can achieve the bullseye because there's real clarity of mission. Um, I, I, do, I actually do something very similar to that, but a bit different. We're very short of time, so really quickly, I've got a house full of business books, bloody millions of them. Why should I read yours? Why should you read mine? Yeah. Because leadership is the cornerstone for success, and you can read and understand everything about business, but if you don't understand the fundamentals of leadership, you're not going to be successful. And my book is an incredibly easy to read book. I've got 18 action items that are clearly set out. So unlike a lot of business books that give you ideas of what you should do, but not real clear exercises or methods to do it, I give you actual tips and advice to help you implement. So leadership is the number one skill you need. And my book is not only interesting, but it's full of true action items to help you succeed and become an engaged leader. And the book is called? Engaging Leadership with an Eye for Involvement. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, Easy to get. All the usual suspects. Evan, thanks very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really appreciate it. I look forward to getting a copy of your book. Um, And if you'd like to learn more about Evan, go to engage, I-N-G-A-G-E, dot net. This is Bob Pritchard. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back with you in just a moment. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And this week, being broadcast from our new studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where entertainment meets technology. Um, because this radio show is broadcast globally, we have a lot of entrepreneurs contacting contacting us asking what steps they need to take to create a successful startup overseas and usually they're international companies wanting to come to the United States. You know growing and scaling a startup whether it's an exciting new market or a competitive and saturated one is not as straightforward as you'd like it to be especially if you want to launch in a foreign country. From inadvertently designing offensive logos or slogans, which happened to us once with Coca-Cola, to failure to protect your intellectual property, which happens frequently, or simply being unable to penetrate your target market, a hell of a lot can go wrong. It takes some savvy business skills to ensure that you don't return home with your tail between your legs. So what advice do those should you get on creating startups on foreign soil? The first tip is don't be cheap. Professional advice can seem expensive. You know, I'm always having a heart attack when I consult a um, an IP attorney or even an attorney in general or getting accounting advice from one of the big guys. Um, but, you know, and when you're starting out, it's horrendous. But heating un- – unprofessional advice will be a lot more expensive in the end and probably cost you your business. While it's true that capital is the lifeblood of a startup, the cost of bad legal advice or poor translation or cheap accountants will, in most cases, end up being much higher than what you would have paid for good local professional advice. The second key is to actually go to the country or the city or the town or the state Visiting a country where you want to do business or the state where you want to do business is the best way to find out how your customers live, think, and operate. In today's world, every market, even markets that are 500 miles apart, can be quite different. So going on site to meet people face-to-face is extremely important. Um, And it's even more important overseas where, particularly in Asia, where face-to-face is so much more important than conference calls and video, which um, we in the West... Um, use frequently. So even if you don't have a physical presence in your target market, pay a visit to the grassroots community. You know, they'll probably make you feel like a local if you're not a jerk and uh, they'll help you move forward. Don't just blatantly sell your product. Make it a win-win. And after you've made the personal connection, then it's much easier to stay in touch via email or Skype. Key number three is to do what you know and love, with over 90% of startups failing to get off the ground. It's important to be passionate about your product. You know, most entrepreneurs don't know where to find the best shops, the best restaurants, the best places to buy supplies or whatever, and rely on word of mouth to find their feet. And uh, you won't be so successful if you aren't 100% in love with the idea of providing your best product in that city. Key number four is to prepare and be patient. So you started your business and you want to be present right across a new continent. Depending on your business, this could require pretty heavy investment in technology, people, infrastructure, in places that maybe you're not quite as sure about as you should be. So you want to make sure everything is absolutely in place before you launch. We all need to think about that long-term game. Key number five is to find partners who can help. Trusted local partners with marketing expertise are keys to expanding and scaling in emerging markets. Before expanding into any new market, you should start travelling well in advance to those countries. Map the market 
and find the right trusted partners to work with and research the risks and the upside of doing business in that geography. When scaling internationally, find partners with strong local market knowledge of business basics like tax, legal, regulatory compliance and seek relationships with those who can assist with early customer traction and distribution. All those things are important and can't be done better than with a local. Key number six is to acquire local partners. You know, every company has different touch points and requirements for rapid scalability across global markets. A shortcut to success consists of acquiring small to medium-sized companies in your industry in each market. This provides you with immediate customer base, a database, licenses, infrastructure, and most importantly, a pool of experienced intelligent and talented management assets. So um, key number seven is to seek opportunities to learn from each country you enter. Recent research has found that technology-based startups are much more likely to succeed globally early on particularly compared to traditional industries where internationalisation often happens at a more gradual pace. There is a specific structure and order to the more successful companies. First were the rules for selecting which country to enter and how. Secondly, there was timing and how to tell if a market was ready And thirdly, prioritising which countries or regions were best to enter after you've been successful in a neighbouring county or country. Key number eight to launching a successful startup in a foreign country is to ensure you don't ignore market conditions or country customs. It's really easy to screw up, trust me. Entrepreneurs are usually leaders by nature, but blindly leading from the front in a market that you don't know and understand will likely lead to really bad outcomes. Cultural sensitivities, language barriers, local customers, ambiguous local customs, ambiguous regulations and other factors mean that leading from the trenches may in many cases be the clever thing to do. There's always a difference between markets experience by testing your product in a foreign market and understanding local buying habits before you take it really live. And the final key to success in a foreign market is to choose your IT platform wisely. Pick a platform where you can fail quickly and pivot very fast if required. Today, most businesses from taxis to healthcare are becoming IT businesses. So this invariably means picking an IT platform that can help you achieve this. And cloud computing, as I mentioned earlier, allows you to test ideas quickly and achieve results or not fast. So launching a business in a country where you're not a native has its challenges, but it's far from impossible and the benefits can be very significant. Send in your questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google+. I hope you've enjoyed the show. You know, we're very pleased to have been bringing you this show since 2011. It's now 2016. That's five years. We've interviewed over 250 people. So if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that um, my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Also, remember that um, American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management, of which I am the honorary president this year, is the foremost organisation in the world. And I've had the the letters AISMM after my name for um, considerable time, and it's done me a power of good. So, in the meanwhile, remember that if you're not really pushing the envelope and you're not living on the edge then you're taking up too much space. It is easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. See you next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. 
Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.